Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that, no surprise, gives you ideas for how to be happier. This week we'll talk about creating a temporary photo gallery and about the Sunday blues. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who I will see very soon in San Francisco. Elizabeth, our live show is looming. Yes, that's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA. And our live show is January 21st, which is tomorrow for anyone who's listening to this podcast the day it comes out. We're very yeah, it's excited. It's at the Brava and Theater A couple of episodes ago, we talked about, and Elizabeth, how you and I both do not have a start of year ritual. And we asked listeners to tell us what their start of year rituals are. Um, so, Henry, you're here to tell us, like, what's, what's some of the things we, we, we got? We got so many responses on this, guys. Um, as always, your listeners are faithful and, <laughs> and original and creative and amazing. Um, let me just read you a few. There's a lot of themes that popped out. So I'm going to read you a few like representative examples and see if you guys want to try any of them next year. <laughs> okay, Gretchen, here's one I think you would do. This one's from Teresa. She says, I'm an avid library user, and my end-of-year ritual is to pay my library fines. Whether it's $0.05 cents or $2.50, I start the year with a clean slate. Oh, I love that. My library makes you pay your fines whenever, like if you want to check out another book, you have to clear it off. So I never get behind. But I I applaud that as a fellow (laughs) library lover. We should all um, pay our fines and go to the library constantly. Um, There was a bunch about like uh, rituals of eating things, like people who eat black-eyed peas or people who eat fish or 12 grapes and 12 sips of wine. I'd never heard that one. I guess that's one for each month. Interesting. I've never heard that. But here's one that was like super short that I thought was actually a really smart, creative solution to a common problem. It's from Michael. Michael says, my New Year's ritual is writing the new year on a bunch of blank checks. It serves two purposes. Practice writing the new year. (laughs) And by the time I've run through the predated checks, I'll actually know what year it is. That's true, because it always, it takes me till March, practically. (laughs) Yeah, I just wrote the wrong year yesterday, so I relate to that. Excellent. And then our last one is from Heather. Uh, Heather describes herself as a naturally pessimistic person, and it's hard for her to recap her years in a positive light. But she <laughs> found that, quote, for some reason, even recounting more solemn events becomes a lot easier when it's just reduced to a list of firsts, not not necessarily good or bad, both. So she, she has this list. Here's her list from this year, and she wrote it all down, and I'll read it. Um, my first this year included a serious mixture of things, such as my first laser hair removal, my first time living alone, my first time sailing, my first flying class, my first time to both Philadelphia and Seattle, my first time teaching myself and using animation in my work as a designer, my first time being a civilian again after being discharged from the military, my first time seeing bald eagles and killer whales in the wild. So it's a whole grab bag of things. Wow. And she, she writes that list, and that's her New Year's ritual. That's very cool. It's almost cool. like a poem. It I is. Think. Exactly. Wow. It really it captures so much in such a brief time. That's a great ritual. Do you guys think you're going to do any of these rituals next year? Yeah, I want to ponder these. I love this idea of having a start of your ritual, though. I think that's going to be a big, big addition going forward. Well, yeah, we got over like 100 of these. So yeah, good job. Thank listeners. you, listeners. Thanks, Thank everyone. you, listeners. We, we read them all, even if we can't read them all on the air. Um, 
And Alyssa, the try this at home tip um, is sort of related to it's it's not dissimilar in in, in mood, um, which is to create a temporary photo gallery in your house. Oh, yeah. You have so much in your books about photos. And I love this notion of a temporary photo gallery, although it sounds very organized. But tell, tell us more. It, it, it's easier than it sounds. Um, what I realized is that I love having family photographs. But the problem with the ones that are out all the time is that they just blend into the woodwork. Mm. Like they're just like wallpaper. I don't look I never look at them. I don't register them. And so we have two temporary photo galleries. Um, so every Halloween, I take like a picture of my daughters in their Halloween costumes and I buy a special kind of Halloween themed frame. Or if I can't find something that's Halloween themed, I just get something orange or black. And I actually give it to the grandparents, too. So I also it's like, you know, gold star yeah. from the grandparents because they get the Halloween picture. And then it only comes out at hollow around Halloween. And, and it's so fun because you see them, you know, there's like the Peapod costume that both Liza and Eleanor wore when they were babies. And you can see how their relative sizes change and oh. how, you know, and, and I, I can't remember any of the Halloween costumes that I had as a child, but I remember all of theirs. And it's so fun to look at it. And they look at it. Their friends look at it. And it makes a great Halloween decoration, you know, just yeah. itself. It's um, it's like really adds to the festivity. And we do the same thing for Valentine's because in our family, because basically I decided to make a virtue of necessity because I could not get my act together in time to send holiday cards uh, at the end of December, which is when everybody else does it. So I decided we would send Valentine's cards as a family because um, everything's much calmer. So we have these nice photographs that we have for every Valentine's. So those are in either pink or red or white or silver frames, and they only come out around Valentine's Day. And again, it's so fun to see how the girls change, and you really notice them because they're only out for a little while. So do you put away other photos and replace them with these for a period of time, or do you just add these in a different location? I add these in a different location. We've got this chest of drawers that's right in our in our kind of opposite the elevator where you come in. And so uh, so we, I put them there. But now, okay. actually, they're, they're, they are too big. They won't all fit there because I've got so many pictures yeah. now that Eliza's 16. And so some there's like two, a, a second location, and it's always a big thing like... Which am I going to put here? Which am I going to put there? But then I really notice them and really treasure them. It's so fun. And it probably makes you enjoy the holiday more because I know you have a whole holiday ritual um, happiness tip of like, you know, really making a thing out of every holiday. Yeah. And sometimes the minor holidays, too, are, or it can be even more fun because they're less work. But and again, like it's fun to decorate, but it's so much trouble. But just putting up a bunch of picture frames is so easy and they're really easy to store they just pack flat in a little box and you stick them away and actually if i i uh i did a little video a behind the scenes video for my book happier at home where i talked about this for the first time so if anybody wants to see our valentine's gallery i show it in this um, video and i'll post the link at happiercast.com slash 48 if people just like i don't know are curious to see what this thing it's curious to see if i actually do do it <laughs> which i do actually do it now how about you do you have anything like this where it only comes out sometimes I mean, I have, of course, aside from the whole Christmas decoration thing, uh, I don't, but I love the idea. You know what? I think the biggest impediment for me in doing something like this is actually printing the photos. That to me, like uh, digital cameras are great, but it's just a mystery to me always about how to print pictures now. Um, so maybe what we need is like a photo. Do you have a photo printer or do you print them elsewhere? 
No, I, I, I don't have a photo printer. I've never, I, and I've tried that one time and it didn't really work for me. So I don't, the key to me is figuring out the whole printing because I feel like if I print it easily, then I, I might actually put them in frames. So um, I love this idea. I, I got to get on this. This is one I need to adopt. Well, and I think one of the things that's, that works about this is that since there's a holiday, and especially because of the, the, uh, the Halloween thing, like, because I feel like I'm compelled to give it to the grandparents, I have yeah. to do it for, for that. And Valentine's Day, we send out our card, so I have to do it. So there's sort of a prompt that means, like, you have to do this right now. Because the problem with photos, you'd be like, oh, I've got a million great photos. Why right. am I going to do it today instead of tomorrow? Like, I needed something to force me to kind of say, like, now I'm going to get a picture that I'm going to put in a frame and add to the gallery. And one, they're in costume. So it's like, you know, you, you can only get them in costume so many times, yeah. especially, you know, Eliza. It's like I have to, like, race after her to, to right. so I can get her in her costume. Well, well, I think this is great. And I am going to uh, I'm going to get on this one. So let us know if you tried this at home, if you've created a temporary photo gallery, how it works for you, if you had the theme or not. Um, tell us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes on my site uh, that accompany this episode, happiercast.com slash 48. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. So next up, we're going to talk about a happiness stumbling block. And to talk about this very popular, alas, stumbling block, we've got two of our Panoply colleagues with us today. Here in New York City with me in the studio is Laura Mayer, our managing producer, who you hear us thank every episode at the end of the show, and also Sarah Bentley, who's director of partner management. So hello, Laura, and hello, Sarah. Hey. Hi. And so we got the idea to talk about this happiness stumbling block because... You guys started talking about it kind of around the office, which is the stumbling block of the Sunday blues. And I think a lot of people don't realize that many people suffer from the Sunday blues. They think they're the only ones. And this is both, both of you are nodding your heads. Yes. Okay. So Lori, first up, how do you experience Sunday blues? Well, I've experienced it. I call it the Sunday dreads. Ah. I always say I'm mm. dreading. Um, and I think I've experienced it since I was a kid. Ah. Where, um, But I, it wasn't like a procrastination thing. Like I did all my homework always from like the beginning to the end of high school on Friday nights. Laura is an upholder. I'm I will upholder. throw that in there. <laughs> yeah. um, so that I would have like Saturday and Sunday to do as I pleased. And I think I started doing that because I would feel so crummy on Sundays just in general. And I thought like, well, if, if I just have everything done and my room ah. is clean, then like I can mm. finally enjoy myself. And I remember when I was a kid, before even recognizing this 
was really happening, I had this routine where I would treat myself ah, to uh, mm. three chocolate chip cookies while watching a television show of my choice prior to dinner on Sunday nights. And I've, in a lot of ways, I've maintained these habits, which do not get rid of the dreads, ah. into my adulthood. Ah. But I feel like my dreads would be much worse if I was like running around on Sundays trying to get everything done. So it alleviates dread, but it doesn't cure dread. Yes. Now, now how about you, Sarah? What's your what's your Sunday blues pattern? Well, I uh, I have to say I've made a lot of headway on oh, this. It was, it was actually a major issue for me uh, years ago um, where I had to go get help for it. Actually, oh. I went and talked to somebody about it because I would literally on Sunday afternoons just not be able to function. Wow. I got really emotional, would start to cry. And, you know, so I've done a lot of changed my habits a lot, which have helped a lot. And I have to say they have gone down tremendously. So what have you done? Yeah, well, I'm dying to hear. Yeah. I actually wrote out a little list and it's oh, always <laughs> excellent. <laughs> um, I uh, first of all, one thing I had to do was make friends with it. So ah. when it shows up um, to not create a new narrative around it saying, well, there goes the weekend and now the rest of my evening's going to be downhill. Uh, and so just accepting that it's going to come and saying hello to it and here you are and you right. come every week and let's hang out for the night, <laughs> but you're not going to, you know, take well, me off friend. the rails. Yeah. Um, another thing is to figure out what the real issue was. That was very helpful for me. And for me, I was afraid of people I was managing. Mm. I had a really tough staff at the time and they oh. scared me. And so oh. I had to go back in and face that on Monday. For the wow. record, I'm Henry's manager, and I do not fear him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but two, like, really helpful things to me that I do now is, number one, I make really fun plans for the beginning of the week. Oh, and so yeah. In, in addition to Sunday, I make sure I've got something Monday evening oh. to look forward to, whatever that is. And the other thing that's really helped me is to think about who I can help at work. And for some mm. reason, that completely ah. changes my mindset. That's actually the most useful sort of mental tool that I've done. When I start to go into the Sunday blues, I think about who I care about at work or who might be struggling and who I can go in and be helpful to. And it completely changes my perspective. So that there are my such wow. a great Those are idea. My tips. <laughs> so sort of like I'm going to go into work on Monday, and that's oh, and that's when I'm going to be able to write that email where I'm going to put those two people in touch. Or exactly. That's where I'm going to take yes. that person aside and explain. Right. That is such a great idea. I, I find that for me, when I'm going into a negative state or depression, finding out a way that I feel useful to somebody is very magical for me. For some reason, it pulls me out of it. One of the best oh. ways to make yourself happy is to make other mm. people happier. Mm. Mm. Um, well, now, what about you, Elizabeth? You also get, I'm the only person here who does not have Sunday blues, but you have Sunday blues too, don't you? I have them intermittently. Like if, you know, my job changes often. I mean, sometimes as much as every six months. So if I like the job I'm, I'm doing at the time, then I do not have Sunday blues. And I sort of look forward to Monday and getting to chat with everybody at work. And then, not surprisingly, if I really hate my job at the time, I have horrible Sunday blues. Um, and so I, you know, it just that just changes sort of month to month. Luckily, right now, I'm in a job I like, so I do not have the Sunday blues. But I do find that going out to dinner Sunday night um, and often with friends mm -hmm. is a great way to combat it because then it feels like the weekend is longer and you're not sort of... Uh 
facing Monday until later, much later in the day when you're almost ready to go to bed. But so but here's the interesting thing about Sunday blues is that, like, as Laura was saying, I think a lot of people get Sunday blues even when they don't have a problem mm-hmm. with Monday. I think some, for, right. maybe it's sort of like an intensifier, but like I remember I first heard about Sunday blues from my my roommate when I was living in Washington, D.C., and she loved her job, and yet she had such intense Sunday blues. I had never experienced it until I was talking to her, and, and she said she Monday morning she would wake up and she would be fine. It was really this Sunday blues. And it's interesting that you say, Elizabeth, your Sunday blues is less when you like a job because for me it's more when I like a job which means it's when I'm more busy and Uh. my time does not become mine at all by the time Monday rolls around. I was speaking to Andy Bowers um, the chief content officer who you will also hear Gretchen thank you in the thanking (laughs) in the credits and his theory I think kind of I sort of had an aha moment in his office where I was like, oh, that's that could be totally why I'm not into the Sunday afternoons, because my time, whether it is, you know, me cleaning the toilet on a Friday night, hitting up the laundromat, like not exactly doing the most sparkling things to get my chores out of the way. That's my time. But mm-hmm. on Monday, you know, I and the rest of us who go to work are suddenly beholden to everybody else just with meetings and you know, you know, you can go out and get a coffee in the middle of the day, but that's sort of like you, you've lost the freedom of the weekend, the freedom of Saturday and Friday nights. Gretchen, I wanted to ask you, because I feel like people who have Sunday blues also sort of baked into that is that you've got a nine to five Monday through Friday ostensibly job. Ah. And you are a writer. And right. I mean, have you had an office job that sort of you go to? No, no, no. Yes, I have. I mean, okay. I, I was a law clerk. Um, right. I worked at the Federal Communications Commission. So I definitely had. Was and at in that the, point, did you? I didn't. I did huh. not have. I didn't have Sunny Blues. And so I wonder. But it's interesting because it's like you either have them or you don't have them and you can't even imagine them. It's, 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 and I think, I think one of the things that's helpful to realize is that it's a real thing that many people experience. Because mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people... They don't even maybe recognize the pattern or they think it's this idiosyncratic thing of the, of theirs. But when you realize, like, this is a thing that many people experience, I think it's kind of comforting even just to know that it's a, a pretty mm-hmm. widespread phenomenon. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, I mean, in terms of, you know, you feel depressed because the time isn't your own as of Monday. I mean, there are times when I'm relieved that time isn't my own <laughs> because I don't have to make decisions. It's like I don't have to decide if I'm going to go to a museum or hike or do something, uh, uh, you know, that, that benefits sort of me and culturally or health wise or whatever. It's just once Monday morning comes, I know I have to get to work, get in the writer's room and be there. And so it's like a relief not to make any decisions. Well, and here's I mean, what I think is great is there's a lot of strategies here, like whether it's the chocolate chip cookie or somebody was saying like it's really great if there's a wonderful television show on Sunday nights because there have been various excellent TV yeah, shows I think uh, other some networks right now are sort of trying to fight the <laughs> Sunday blues and, right uh-huh. or but with time shifting you could maybe save that special television show or like you have all, and, and Sarah you have all these great tips but uh, my friend the, the roommate I mentioned before one of her things was that she eased into the week so she had a very deliberate thing that she did Monday morning where she would just sort of go through mail or like do very kind of low level tasks. She wouldn't have any meetings. She wouldn't have anything due. She wouldn't do anything stressful. I mean, maybe also, Sarah, this is like you're managing difficult people. Like she very deliberately kind of ramped up her week so that she wasn't hit. Because sometimes Monday morning, it's like everything just hits you. 
like a ton of bricks and that might be would intensify the Sunday blues. So having a ramp up. Yeah, like I like going to chapel at Jack's school on Monday morning for that reason. It's sort of like, okay, you know, start the day with sitting in the gym and looking at the kids and hearing about what's going on at school. And then it's just kind of a nice ease in to the week. Well, this is great. Thank you guys so much for coming by. This is a lot of great strategies to try to combat the Sunday blues and then also just the solidarity of knowing that. Well, one thing I can say is they do and can get better. Mine are almost eliminated now. So So with you really put your attention to it and you were able to tackle it. It can get better. Well, Sarah, on Sunday nights, you can now send me an email <laughs> so you can do do a good thing for someone. Uh, <laughs> Just like checking in on the, the blues, the dreads, and maybe that will help you continue Thank you. to yes. eliminate I the like Sunday the blues. dreads. Let's call them the Sunday dreads from now the on. The Sunday dreads. And do something nice for someone else. That's a good policy altogether. And if it cures the Sunday dreads, then that's like, that's even better. So thanks so much. Thanks you, Laura. Thank you, Sarah. Um, it's so fun to have you here. Thanks, guys. Great. Thanks. Bye. Now we're going to take a listener question. And remember, you can leave us a voicemail question at 774-277-9336 or more mnemonically, 77-HAPPY-336. Gretchen, this week we have a question from Brett in New York City. Hey, Gretchen and Elizabeth. This is Brett Cameron from New York City. My question is, does maintaining relationships with unhappy friends and family have to be toxic to your own happiness? Mm, That's a good question. Well, this is one of the questions that comes up most often in the area of happiness. It is a really, really tough question. And I think, Alyssa, we touched on this in episode 12. And this is really tough because there's something called emotional contagion uh, because we literally catch emotions Mm -hmm. from each other in a flash, you know, being around somebody for a very short time, talking to them on the phone, even seeing a picture of somebody who's showing a strong emotion is going to influence our own emotions. And and that can be hard because if they are feeling very unhappy, that unhappiness starts, you start to catch it from them. Yeah, I mean, you hear about a lot of people who want to sort of break up with friends because they think they're toxic but it's not always possible, especially if it's a parent or a sibling. You know, you can't probably just cut them out of your life completely. Right. And and you don't want to. But and you're exactly right. Like if it's somebody at work, you can be like, OK, I'm going to deal with this person by email or I'm whenever I see this person, I'm going to kind of try to do it in a group situation. So their feelings are kind of diluted. But but often, as you say, it might be somebody really important in your life or somebody who, who you, you don't want to or who you can't cut out of your life. Um. So then the question is, okay, well, what do you do about it? If you have this person in your life and it's it's dragging you down, um, but you don't, but you want to maintain the relationship. And what I found, first of all, it's very challenging. And second of all, one of the things that helps is if you do not try to cheer them up. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens a lot of times is that there's one person who's unhappy, one person who's happier, and the happier person is constantly kind of trying to intervene with that unhappy person and convince them of things like, don't look on the, you know, look on the bright side. It's not as bad as you think. The glass is half full. And then the other person often, because I've talked to these people and heard from them, and they often feel very badgered. Um, They feel like no one's respecting their viewpoint. And it kind of 
polarizes both people. The happy person sort of like trying to like, you know, be insistently cheery. And then the unhappier person is sort of pushed further and further in the opposite direction. And so both people drain each other. Right. And furthermore, with that, I think if you're not trying to make them happy, then you're not making their happiness your responsibility, which in turn will have the their unhappiness affect you less. Yes. You uh, know, right. It's not your job to change, turn this person around. And one thing that does help, and I've certainly found this to be true, like in many contexts, it sounds so obvious, but it really, it really helps, is acknowledge someone else's perspective. Because a lot of times what we want to do is like tell somebody that they're wrong. It's not as bad as you say. Like things are going to get better. And it's like, that's not what they're saying. But if you say, you're really worried about this, or you know, you feel like this is going to be a very big problem, then they feel like, okay, you get it. You understand what I'm saying here. You understand my feelings. Maybe I don't have to keep repeating them because I know that you understand what I'm trying to communicate to you. Because if you deny people's feelings, then they feel like they have to keep trying to convince you of the way that they feel. If you show that you understand them, then they're like, okay, you know, you get it. So, I mean, the short answer seems to be like, I mean, yes, you can stay, you know, happy even when you're with unhappy people, but you've got to sort of take a step back emotionally. Right. You have to really kind of think it through and be, but, but I mean, as he says, like, if you're aware of what's going on, you're aware of the dynamic and how you're being influenced by somebody, sometimes just being conscious of it helps you see how you can manage it better and how you can deal with your own feelings better. Great question. Very thought provoking question. Yes. Big happiness challenge. All right, Gretch. So this week you are up with a happiness demerit. What have you got? Yeah. You get the gold star of this, get to give the gold yeah. star this week, which is much more fun. Um, okay, so this is a writerly demerit. And so, Elizabeth, mm. maybe you'll, you will uh, identify with this. Okay, so I'm working on my book about the four tendencies, um, the four fill-in-the-blank tendencies, you know, mm-hmm. blank fill-in-the-blank to come. And what I've noticed about myself as a writer, and I've known this for a long time, is that it's much more fun for me to polish something that is already good than it is to make unpolished things better. And wow. so I've been working on this book. And what I find over and over is I'm like, ooh, what part should I work on today? And instead of working on the introduction, which is obviously overwhelmingly the most important part that I should be like, I truly like I plan and I will eventually spend an entire week working on like the first three pages because you just that's what it takes to write an introduction. But it's really, really hard. That's like the hardest kind of writing. It's a kind of writing like my least favorite kind of writing is flop copy, which, again, is also incredibly, incredibly important important because that's like you want to focus your attention on what are people going to read first? Like, how do you set it up in a way that's interesting to them and speaks to them and all that? But I like him deep into the book tinkering with some, some you know, nuance yeah. that people will read like in five seconds and just be moving through. And I'm just like, you know, tinker, 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 because that's the part I like. And so my demerit is instead of working on what's most important and I've been working on what I feel like. And while it's not totally procrastination, it's like one step removed <laughs> from procrastination. So I'm going to focus on what matters and like turn my attention to chapter one. And just an observation, Gretch, uh, I could be that because the stakes are so high for those things, you have anxiety. So, you know, you feel like this is where it counts. And so delving in is kind of scary. 
maybe you need to in your mind divorce yourself from how important it is so you can just enjoy the writing process which you do enjoy more than most writers i know i think that's a good point i think i think i should just say like i'm just gonna have fun with this and just not not expect it to be like you know perfect and you can scrap yeah. the whole thing if it does not working yeah, yeah start okay. over okay well enough on that what's your gold star take us up my gold star this week comes um, Harry Potter audiobook. Oh my gosh, I 100%. Yes, yes. let me set it up. Uh, Adam and Jack and I last weekend drove to Phoenix, Arizona to visit my sister-in-law, Olivia, and uh, her family, uh, which was awesome. But it's about a six to seven hour drive from our house. And that's a long time in the car, especially with a six-year-old. and. And so just as we got in the car, Adam said, should we download the Harry po first Harry Potter book and listen to it? And it was like, as soon as he said it, it was like, ding, ding, ding. Yes, of course we should. So um, we got our audible version of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. But you'd been reading it to him aloud already, though. Hadn't you started yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I had been, I was maybe three quarters through the book. But the good thing about little kids is they like to listen to things over and over. So it was actually a benefit that he already knew the story. He was more interested going in. But we listened to it there and back most of the way. Of course, it's got this great reader, Jim Dale, uh, yeah. who does all the characters, and he's fantastic. And I mean, we, Adam and I, but Ann Jack could listen for maybe three and a half hours straight at a time to the book. And so it just made the drive fly. Um, and it was something we could also then talk about and you know enjoy, and Jack would be in the back seat just laughing away. Um, I will say we've now gotten to the really scary part where Harry's got to get the Sorcerer's Stone. So now he's like, I don't want to listen to that. I want to wait. Um, yeah. Which I totally get. Let's go so, back to Diagon Alley. Yeah, that's exactly. That. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so big gold star. I mean, not that Harry Potter needs more gold stars. But um, wait, can I just still, say something, though? Yeah. Haven't I been saying to you for months that I thought Jack would like to listen to audiobooks? I keep saying you have. Yeah, you have. And you know what? You're right. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. So but a, um, a friend of mine, I got to adopt that. A friend of mine said that like they've been listening to him on long car trips, too. And he was like had never really paid enough attention to understand what was going on so to him it was just sort of gibberish which is a problem like you kind of have you have to listen mm. enough so that you can enjoy it and he said to his wife he's like if i hear another voice saying harry harry one more time <laughs> like i don't know what i'm gonna do so yeah you got to get into it you got to listen so that you can appreciate like all the different voices and 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 like how exciting the story is but if it's just sort of rolling over your head it's yeah it's just jamie just always says quidditch where's the quidditch yeah. i want to hear about the quidditch he doesn't know the story <laughs> I would still say when I listened to the sequence of Harry discovering what a good Quidditch player he is, I got chills. You oh. know, I mean, it's so good. Oh, well, there's so many great lines. The wand chooses the wizard. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was Adam's favorite part. Appropriate in so many, so many situations. Oh, that's such a good gold star. I'm so I'm like getting a vicarious. I want to go home and listen to the whole thing all over <laughs> again myself. I've listened to him a million times. But that's it for this episode of Happier. Uh, remember to try this at home. Make a temporary photo gallery. Let us know if you tried it. And if you do it, and if you take a, take a picture of it and post it on my Facebook page, we would love to see what your gallery looks like. Thank you to Sarah Bentley and Laura Mayer for talking about Sunday blues with us. 
Also, thanks to our producer, Henry Malofsky. And thank you to Andy Bowers, as always, from Panoply. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. We're very excited. Tomorrow night was our live event at the Bravo Theater in San Francisco. So that's going to be amazing. And remember, if you're going to be there uh, and you have a New Year's resolution that you'd like to share live with the audience, um, email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com and let us know what your New Year's resolution is. Um, Also, throw in your tendency if you know your tendency. And so send in the email with the subject line, New Year's Resolutions, and we'll talk about it um, tomorrow. And here's another little thing that we've got going. We're going to try something new. It's called A Little Happier. You're going to see it in your feed. It's going to be just a few minutes long, just a little happiness booster to help you start your week off right. So watch out for A Little Happier on Mondays. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.